the most important part, of course. I have a few. Where do cows go on Friday nights? The movies. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why the baseball kept getting bigger. Then it hit me. <laughs> what happens to a frog's car when it breaks down? That's a good one. Gets towed away. <laughs> and the final one. <laughs> Where do polar bears keep their money? In their snow bank. <laughs> okay, the torture's over. The torture's over. Okay. So I want to, um, you know, obviously it's the last one. It may go a little bit longer than normal as far as the teaching, but uh, I wanted to reiterate that the entire book of Hebrews was for the purpose of encouraging the Jewish believers to not forsake Christ and go back to Judaism, okay? And they were suffering persecution. They were suffering financial loss because, again, if you were excommunicated, you couldn't do business with your Jewish community. You're like anathema to them. Uh, they were definitely facing uh, probably death even at times. And what I like about going through the book systematically is, you know, we get the context, we get the background, we get, you know, what they were facing, but we also, those things that are typically taken out of context, and which I don't mind, I mean, actually, if you look at some of the things that even Peter and Paul quoted, they were actually out of context at times, but they applied it to their current reality. But you get to see the whole of the message and, and the entire mind that Paul had when he wrote the letter, okay? So here in chapter 13, he's just finishing up some of the things and uh, the loose ends, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 first. We're going to go through this probably pretty quickly and systematically, but if you have thoughts or anything, just uh, throw them out there. But in the Passion Translation, it says, No matter what, make room in your heart to love every believer and show hospitality to strangers for they may be angels from God showing up as your guests. Identify with those in prison as though you were suffering with them and those who are mistreated as if you could feel their pain. Okay, so this first verse where it says, no matter what, make room. Now that shows me that loving other believers then is not always easy. Because for him to say, no matter what, right, make room. So when you're making room for something, you're throwing out old things that maybe you don't need. You're bringing in maybe new things that will facilitate what you're making room for. You're cleaning up. You're throwing out the trash. You're doing all those things. It's the same thing with this where you're making room. In other words, you're letting go of offense, letting go of unforgiveness, letting go of judgmental thoughts that maybe you have that aren't accurate and even suspicion which a lot of Christians uh, label as discernment. Okay, so here's just a real quick key to know if you're in true discernment. Discernment is always based in the love you have for the person. So if you're offended, if you don't like them, if you are irritated with them, then you probably want to put what you're discerning on a shelf. It doesn't mean you have to completely throw it out. I've had him give me dreams and, and discernment of people that I probably would never want to sit down with and have a conversation. But at the time, I was irritated, so I just put it on a shelf, and then later he confirmed what I discerned. But too many Christians, especially those super spiritual Holy Spirit police Christians, think that they're discerning stuff about people when actually they are judging them through a standard that is not even the Lord's. And so you want to be really careful uh, with that. So if you truly feel an agape love for the other individual and you discern something, then it's pretty safe. Okay? And then if you hear people like, I sense, 
We'll just leave that one up in the air. I had to learn, I had to put this in there, that every time I've ever, ever done that, like I will go to a dinner and who's sitting next to me? That person. That person. across the room? That person. <laughs> who does my husband come in and say, oh, I invited so-and-so for for supper? That person. That person. So it's like, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> so your discernment being based on agape love is, I believe, in Philippians, but in this case, get this, because here's here's what's important. With agape love, you can actually have for agape love for someone you don't like. Because agape love is a supernatural impartation according to Romans 5.5 5 of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's poured out in our hearts. And uh, so it's a love that doesn't look at the object and determine what you feel for it based on its value or how it treats you. So that was the love that Christ operated in. And as I've said before, the word agape is a noun verb in the Greek that did not even exist until the biblical writers. Okay? So it's always a noun and it's an action. But right here where it says, make room in your heart to love every believer, that's actually the word Philadelphia. Now we're getting into the emotion. Okay? So this is uh, affection. So he's not going to let us off the hook. Okay? He's saying, make room in your heart to have affection for every believer. I know. When I read that, I had the same face, Darina. I'm like, yeah, every believer have affection for. Whew, feeling anxiety like a wave of it going through my body. <laughs> that's, that's good. That one said, don't like you, hate you. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have to feel affection for them. And as we know, feelings like agape is, or uh, Philadelphia is actually in the soul. It's a soul thing. So it requires a renewing. So I know it may be bad news for you, like it was for me, but if you got the Holy Ghost, you can do it. All right, so let's look at, uh, I'm going to read this actually out of the English Standard Version, the next two pa passages, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, and then John 21, 15 through 17. And it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, real quick, that phrase godliness, it is a devotion to a God in the Greek. Okay, it's piousness. So godliness could be used for anyone who had a religion. You know, you've got people that follow Buddha that are godly toward him, okay? You got people that follow Satan, that they're godly for him. And so it may sound weird. But I wanted to take out the aspect that the Christians have a corner market on godliness because, again, it's a piety toward a God, whether it's the one we worship or someone else. Now, why is that important? Because your affection, your Philadelphia for the other person is sourced from your devotion to God. Okay? So, I love God. God. I am devoted to Him. Therefore, I'm going to develop an affection for the person I don't necessarily like. Okay? So that's an important key. So you add uh, brotherly affection to godliness and then brotherly affection with love or agape. Now, this is what's amazing. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And if you continue on in that passage, it also says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. That word stumble is the Greek word sin. That should blow some religious hats off. So, uh, now... I like to view that passage as the progression of Christian maturity, okay? Peter knows about this. Here in John, it says, now this is after Peter denied the Lord three times. Now remember, he is not an example of repentance that can occur for a Christian who walks away from Jesus Christ, whether it's facing persecution or whatever. He wasn't born again yet, okay? 
So what he did was pre-born again. If one of us was to deny the Lord or walk away from him, it probably had been better that we were never born. Okay? So I just want to give you that caveat. So he's already denied him three times, and now the Lord is resurrected. Verse 15, uh, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now who's he referring to? He's referring to everybody around him. John, Matthew, all the people he said, they may leave you, I never will. Right? So now he's not going to let him off the hook for his belief system of comparing himself as better than. Right? That's what's happening. So he's calling them out in front of everybody, but he's doing it in a way that's going to be uh, restorative. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That word love is phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia. Okay? So he's saying, I have affection for you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? So the first two loves that Jesus uses are agape. So then Simon Peter says, you know that I have affection for you. He said, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you have affection for me? Now he goes to Phileo. This is a perfect example of him meeting him where he's at. The only time the Lord will meet you where you're at is when you have a revelation that you need to be met where you're at. You know? Everybody says, well, God accepts us as we are. Well, yeah, the first initial I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell. From that point on, when you're born again, you've got to have a revelation of where you're at or you'll be blind to your condition and end up later falling after 40 years, 50 years of ministry. Okay? So he's got this thing where he's meeting them. He's saying, do you have affection for him? Now at this point, Peter is grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I have affection for you. He said, feed my sheep. Okay? So the thing is, is he did this three times because he denied him three times. Okay? So he's going to meet him again in his place of failure to bring him freedom. The thing is, is the reason Peter was grieved I don't think it was necessarily because Jesus was asking him questions. It was because he was revealing, you denied me and here's why. Right? He was bringing that back up. You don't want to run from grief. You don't want to sweep it under the rug. You don't want to not deal with it because again, it will come out eventually. Emotions buried never die. They always come in the surface. Well, and I think, you know, he denied three times. Mm -hmm. And he asked this question three mm -hmm. times. So I think it was kind of a redemption. Oh, absolutely. Type, um, you know, yeah. Part there. Yeah. But the grief Peter felt yes. had to come out. Mm -hmm. And it did. And then what I love about the Lord is he then uh, restored to him his call. Okay? So he's like, uh, feed my, sh my lambs, which are babies, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Okay? Alright, so he didn't excommunicate him. He didn't throw him away. He simply gave him an assignment. So the Lord expects immaturity and the need for progression. But he requires that we receive, uh, see ourselves accurately, both immersed in identity, celebrating where we've come from, but also recognizing where we're at. Now, in the Passion Notes, mercy is implied in the Greek, and it includes forgiveness and forbearance to those who fail. Okay, now of course it's for those who recognize and repent. Uh, in Luke 17:3 in the English Standard, it says, "Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him." Now that's not permission to hold offense. Your heart must be free of offense and unforgiveness. But the Lord is very plain: if a person has not repented of sin, you don't let them back in your flock. They'll, be, they'll turn into a wolf. The thing with the flock is it provides a sense of community and family and protection, or at least it should. So if a person who's in sin is inside that flock 
and they're not held accountable to repent, which means to change the mind. That's where we get penthouse. You go to the top again. That's what that means. And so repent is to the top again. You cannot enable them to stay in their condition because sin corrupts, but also they'll start picking off people that are weak to join them. That's why apostles, see when apostles are around, you usually don't have wolves. Apostles can eye them. They can, up. Oh, all right. You know, it's like a gut feeling. They just have that. It's like the eagle that's flying. If it's going away from home, its eyes will start hurting. And so they'll know to turn until the eyes quit hurting, and then it goes back to its nest. That's its direction system. And so we've had a couple wolves try and come in, and you're like, oh, okay. Now, one was pretty obvious because he thought he was Elijah. So it didn't take long for me to understand that we have a situation here. Um, somehow he was able to continue on in a home group in Portalis and wreaked much havoc. Um, so the minute he said he's Elijah, I'm all, all right, you know what? Got you on my radar. What was interesting is he prophesied very accurately. That was very interesting. I don't know if y'all remember, he's a young guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, uh, Peter, or Paul, he said when he was going to Jerusalem, he knew he would not see the Ephesian believers again. Now, guys, he was tight. You know, it'd be like one of y'all moving or... You know, me and Mike moving. I mean, it was like, and never see each other again. No internet, no visit, no nothing. That was kind of what it was like. So back then, it was like a death. And he, he said, I have warned you day and night wolves will come. You know, I have not ceased with tears to tell you wolves will come. And so sure enough, you know, after the apostle left the region, region because they have a regional authority, the wolves start coming in. And that's why we have the letter, uh, uh, each letter to the seven churches, okay? Um, so anyway, that's important to understand. Oh, go ahead. Before we leave that spot, um, the, the three words he used for sheep are different, for lambs. Uh, on the first one, it's uh, a male, for ma the male, like a ram. The second one is just sheep in general, and the third one is for the ewes, the females. Very interesting. So I think it's very interesting when they talk about, you know, people, you know, we know right now the left is one of to say that Christians and Jesus was anti-female kind of thing, and, you know, they don't take any cultural significance into anything. But I think this is um, very interesting. That so the third one's women? Uh-huh. The third, the, the word, the Aramaic, there on D, I don't know if you've got your passion there. The Aramaic is feed my rams on the first one. Uh, and then the Ten. second, the, in 16, is simply sheep. And in 17, Jesus uses the third term, use female lambs. Very interesting. Before we go left it, I want that. That's very good. That's pretty good. So that's why Jesus said, if a person repents, forgive them, and you can have them back into your fold. If they don't repent, don't let them back in because they will be wolves and they'll start picking off uh, the babies. Now, forgive here, where it says, if they repent, forgive, means to remove the guilt resulting from the wrongdoing. In other words, you're now in a restoration contract with the individual, okay? So shame and guilt have no place with the one who's repented. You do not put shame and guilt on someone that has repented because it'll actually throw them over into a sorrow of which they may not be able to get out of, okay? So no matter how angry or how hurt you may be, your job, even if you were the one harmed, your job is to restore that one, not restore, but restore <laughs> that one back into the fold. Okay, so it's a process of helping the individual clean up their mess and restoring their identity back to right alignment. It's impossible for the one who refuses to repent. Uh, Galatians uh, 6, 1 through 3 in the Passion. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him win him over with gentle words which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles now love there is agape 
If you think you're too important to stoop down to help another, you're living in deception. Now, when I first read this, the word overtaken kind of had me confused. I thought maybe it was someone who just kind of happened to stumble into something or whatever. Let's get into some of the possible interpretations. If the preposition en is used, it has the idea that the fault catches the individual by surprise. Suddenly, without notice, before he's aware of what happened, all of a sudden, they're into some type of sin. Okay? The exhortation is to restore a person in such a condition. Um, and it might be necessitated by the possible reluctance of spiritual leaders to do so, being annoyed at their responsibility of the offender and believing he or she should have known better and taking greater care. Okay, so in other words, it's annoying. You know, you made the bed, lie in it. It can be the kind of attitude we have. We're not supposed to have that attitude. Now, again, if they've repented. Now, here in Galatians 6.1, the preposition is there. Okay, so that's what he's referring to. Now, there's another possibility where the phrase, even if, is used, and quote, seems to introduce an exceptional case implying a scandalous or flagrant sin. I almost said fragrant. <laughs> even so, the exhortations restored the offender would then arise from the possible outrage which spiritual leaders might feel towards such a person because he or she was so brazen as to sin openly. The phrase, even if, is also used here. It's both. If we have someone that has repented and they've not committed the unpardonable sin, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, okay? So if they've not committed that one, if they repent, our job, whether it's they fell into a sin, they were caught by surprise, or that they chose to just openly go into sin, if they repent, our job is to restore. Isn't that interesting? All right. This is probably why Paul said, no matter what, have brotherly affection toward every believer. All right, now the angels, real fast, show hospitality to strangers because they might be angels showing up at guests. The Aramaic says, for this is how you are worthy to receive angels while awake. I thought that was interesting. So it could imply angelic visitation. Hospitality is a gift. And the implication, Diane, is that it opens you up to angelic activity. Yeah. Hospitality is defined as kindness to strangers. A stranger is one who is not family or close friend. Now, obviously, having a true crime podcast, just let me you know say, when you're being hospitable to strangers, make sure they're not serial killers. Okay? <laughs> Please use your gut and the Holy Spirit. Yes. This is strange because... <laughs> I was, I, me and my sister were at a Lowe's grocery store, and I was going to get a one of the tortilla holders to put the tortillas so they stick yeah, on. Yeah. So I'm looking up and I'm trying to reach it, and this big old arm reaches over me and grabs it with one hand and gives it to me. And I turn around, this tall guy, big guy with long hair, red hair, handsome guy. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, Thank you. I didn't know who was over. I mean, he's tall. And my sister comes around, she says, what's that? I said, a human? <laughs> a guy? She says, what was he doing? I said, he reached over to give me this to give <laughs> And he says, but look at him. I said, I know, I saw him. What am I looking at? And he says, look at him. He's, uh, he's different. I said, well, no, I've never seen anything like big, big, big thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it so might have been, might have been an angel or someone that's... Yeah. A Nephilim? Double rows of teeth. And then he didn't buy anything. He walked around the store, came right out, here. I was paying, and I was watching it. Everybody was staring at him. Just staring, but he was so tall and big. He you were like a little grasshopper, weren't you? <laughs> I didn't know what to be. <laughs> I kept thinking, is that an angel? It had to be an angel. And I think he was. Might have been. <laughs> Possibly. So in Romans 12, 13, it says distribute to the need, needs of saints given to hospitality. Okay, so given means you're giving your life over to hospitality. Uh, so for some of us, we have, to, we have to practice that. Okay, the word identify. So back up here where it says identify with those who are in prison or suffering. That word identify means to recall or to be aware of. And as a result of recalling and being aware of, you respond in an appropriate manner. Okay, so 
we want to make sure that we don't forget those that are suffering for their faith. Uh, in fact, that's how you create a special place in God's heart uh, for you. Now, this is also very, very important because, um, darn it, hang on, okay. Uh, in Matthew uh, 25, I want to turn over there in a passion. This is what will determine sheep nation and goat nations. So in Matthew 25, 34 through 36, so it says, uh, Then the king will turn to those on their right and say, You have a special place in my father's heart. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. And when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Now, the people that were listening to him were like, well, how could we have done that? It's like, well, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Now, look at verse, um, let me make sure I'm in the right place. Okay, uh, verses uh, 31 and 33 up there. When the Son of Man appears in his majestic glory with all his angels by his side, he will take his seat on his throne of splendor, and all the nations will be gathered together before him. And like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. That separation is how or a response to nations and how they treated Christians and how they treated Israel. So when you have a nation that persecutes God's people, then unless they repent, they will be a goat nation. So it's not necessarily a nation where the whole nation believes in Jesus or not. That's not what they're, what's being talked about here. It's a nation that's very purposeful in protecting Christians and Jewish people. Okay. Now, Jewish people have to get saved. I'm not going to say they don't have to. But they have an assignment on them. So that's very, very important to understand. But for us as individuals, we also have a special place in his heart when we show hospitality and take care of those that are in prison or that are suffering. Okay, now let's go to verse 4. Honor the sanctity of marriage and keep your vows of purity to one another, for God will judge sexual immorality in any form, whether you're single or you're married. Now, in the English standard, it says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. The marriage bed in the Greek is to have sexual relations, sexual activity, sexual life, and marriage relations. Undefiled is moral defilement. So I'm not going to go into a lot with this because uh, I've got a lot of resources for married couples on the website. But defilement is anything prohibited in the Bible. Now, I will tell you there are a bunch more do's than there are don'ts. So a lot of people get religious on the subject of uh, sexual uh, relations and marriage. Um, but I will tell you this, it should just be you and your spouse. No one else should be invited into the marriage bed, whether it's pornography or other people, which you would be shocked at what Christians do behind closed doors. All right, moving on from that topic. Don't be obsessed with money, but live content with what you have. For you always have God's presence. Now see, I love that. Don't be obsessed with money because you always got God's presence. I mean, What's that's just scripture? so neat. Huh? What's the scripture? Oh, uh, Hebrews uh, 13, 5 through 6. For hasn't he promised you, I will never leave you, never, and I will not, I will not loosen my grip on your life. So we can say with great confidence, I know the Lord is for me, and I will never be afraid of what people may do to you. Now, let me read this in the Amplified. This um, scripture I read over and over and over years ago when Mike was in between uh, jobs because of how he said he won't leave you. And obviously, the context is financial. It says in the Amplified, let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money shun greed and be financially ethical being content with what you have for he has said i will never 
under any circumstances desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you, or let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. <laughs> so the idea there is Paul used some type of Greek something where it's basically the equivalent of a bunch of excla exclamation points that we might use. I mean, he was trying to get the point out. He will never leave you without support. Ever, ever, ever. It was like the biggest emphasis you could give in the Greek. Like where the Lord says, um, verily, verily, that is less than what Paul was doing here. So where you see a word repeated two times, that's important. When you see it repeated three times, that's the highest form of force you can use to get your point across. Okay, in case you're wondering, it's like when the angels were saying, holy, 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 they weren't actually repeating themselves. Okay, they're like, holy, you know what I mean? It's like they're just blown away by God's holiness. Their voices probably weren't cracking, though, as it was when I just said holy with emphasis. Okay, now what I like about the Amplified, though, is it ties greed to fear. And a lack of trust in Father, especially, because provision is something that we receive from our fathers. No matter what society tells you, you get provision, protection, and identity from your dad. So people that don't struggle as much uh, with fear of financial lack or people that uh, have a very strong identity of who they are, they've had a good example of dad. Okay? People that have it, they live in a lot of fear. Okay, now, um, women, of course, can provide. I'm not saying that. But fathers provide that uh, trust. Now, in 1 uh, Timothy 5.8, it says, If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Mmm. That's pretty bad. Greed is a poverty condition. It's a poverty mindset as well. So Paul very clearly reveals that this is source in our inner nature. Contentment and generosity are great vaccinations against greed. Okay? So contentment is, quote, to be sufficient or adequate with the implication of leading to satisfaction. It also means by implication to be strong and able to assist another person. So when people use be content with, with, with what you have, trying to say that being in abject poverty you should be content don't know what they're talking about because with contentment comes the ability to be generous so if you can't be generous then you probably need to work on something here now um paul you know he talked about there's times where he had plenty and sometimes he didn't but that was tied to persecution guys you know what i mean he was in prison Okay, so it's a, t a little bit different. Uh, so you can always be content with what you have, but never forget that within being content is the ability to help others, and that requires prosperity. What this means is that you're not satisfied with enough. You recognize the power of more than enough in helping other people. And we know that God will never abandon or do without a cheerful giver, and that provides us protection from what man can do. As we help others, God helps us. Okay? <clears throat> now, this is clearly shown if you look back in Acts 18 and 19 and the shift with Paul's ministry where when he went in the marketplace, it was a totally different ballgame. He was now providing a valuable product and service to society so that when the religious spirit tried to get an attack against him, the government leaders protected him. Uh, I was very excited. You know, I've been fussy about finding working believers, you know, the working believer offering to find <clears throat> people to help. So the other day, I was reading this book, and it, uh, the lady says, uh, create a God fund. Oh. So I opened up in my Twine app uh, a God fund. So it just takes out so much each week. And I thought, well, then... I can collect money in my God fund to like maybe pay rent, pay a mortgage, buy a car, 
like I can go into bigger, you know, giving. So uh, that might be an idea for some of y'all, even if it's a small amount now. I can guarantee you that is it First Corinthians or Second Corinthians nine where it talks about the working believer fund that it is the key to independent wealth. So the more you give to the working believer, the more money you bring in. If you're not, you might need to get into some mindset work, etc. Okay, verses 7 through 8, it says, um, Don't forget the example of your spiritual leaders who have spoken God's messages to you. Take a close look at how their lives ended, and then follow their work, walk of faith. Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. So don't let anyone lead you astray with all sorts of novel and exotic teachings. It is more beautiful to feast on grace and be inwardly strengthened than to be obsessed with dietary rules, which in themselves have no lasting benefit. We feast on a sacrifice at our spiritual altar, but those who serve as priests in the old system of worship have no right to eat of it. For the high priest carries the blood of animals into the holiest chamber as a sacrifice for sin, and then burns the bodies of the animals outside the city. And Jesus, our sin sacrifice, also suffered death outside the city walls to make us holy by his own blood. So we must arise and join him outside the religious walls. So he's referring to those that are following the law, which was what the whole book was about, and bear his disgrace. For we have no city here on earth to be our permanent home, but we seek the city that is destined to come. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blessed sacrifices, but through Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate His name. I wonder if lambs there is rams. Like, you know, Abraham and the ram that was caught in the thicket. Hmm, I'll have to look that up, Kathy. Okay. The word so in verse 9 connects the previous thought to this one. As you remember and consider the lives of spiritual leaders before you that spoke the messages of God, lived well, and stayed in the faith until their death, then what God did for them, He will do for you. As you observe them, it actually protects you from novel and exotic teaching. So, novel and exotic is diverse and strange teachings in the English standard. Diverse means various and strange, means pertaining to not being previously known, and hence unheard of and unfamiliar, surprising. But, here's what's even more surprising. He's referring to the law here. Isn't that interesting? He refers to how now we feast on grace to be strengthened versus being obsessed with dietary rules that have no lasting benefit. We're to feast on the sacrifice at the spiritual altar versus those who serve as priests of the old system of worship, and they have no right to eat from it. It's clear from this passage Paul is referring to communion. Also, instead of offering animals, we offer praise. So he's saying to be a Christ follower and to follow the Mosaic law is to be led astray by novel and exotic teaching. We think about it because we were well, talking about Bill Johnson mm -hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. Well, on, in heaven, they are not doing any of that. They're not doing any of that. Yeah. So if we are you know, have now have the mind of Christ, mm -hmm. and we are, you know, uh, remade. Yeah. And uh, you just, we cannot, we have to get out of that old mindset and think, what would, what would it be in heaven? Yeah. And there would not be any of that. Any of that. Yeah. And if you look at real quick in Romans twelve two. Uh, by Darina's response. Obviously, this is an important scripture to her. In Romans 12, 2, <laughs> stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life 
satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Now, where it says stop imitating the ideals and opinions, uh, be uh, renewed in your thinking. What's that? Does anybody have an English standard or a New King James that can read that uh, for me? Or, yeah, can you read it out of the New Living? Oh, you got it? The NIV? Yeah, if you could read that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, what's interesting is the original Greek gives the idea. We were once conformed to the pattern of this world, right? Because we were sinners. We were Our father was the enemy. And then we were born again. So what he's saying is that if you go back to the patterns of this world, you're imitating because that's no longer who you are. So that blows this whole stupid, you're still a sinner fighting a dual nature false doctrine out of the water. Because you're not fighting another nature. It's been crucified. You're just renewing your mind, right? That's what this whole thing is. Yeah. Stop imitating. Instead, transform your mind. That word, conformed, is a, a word that means putting on a mask to look like something different. So what Paul's saying is, as a believer, when you try to live according to the world pattern, it's like you're wearing a mask. Because that's no longer who you are. Instead, be transformed from the inside out. Well, what are you saying, Paul? Am I transformed or am I not transformed? What he's saying is, your spirit is absolutely made perfect. Allow that reality to go out into your soul. Once it goes out into your soul, it begins to transform the soul. That's the whole, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. We're going to heaven... The soul has to be saved because the soul has been trained in how to be a sinner. And if a vein in my face, so that you, uh, that renew your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the word will is actually philema, not bulema. So, and I didn't say bulimia. <laughs> philema <laughs> is God's desire and wish. Because he has those. Mm -hmm. He has dreams. Belima is the will that is absolute and will never change. So there are some things that God would like to do, but He needs us to hear Him so that we can then carry them out. Now, I'm not saying that God has any need outside of Himself, but He has chosen to make Himself in relationship with us. Therefore, He doesn't do stuff apart from us. Okay? But isn't that interesting? So here... Going back to the law, so if anyone ever wanted to go back to the law that's listening to me or any of y'all have ever thought this, it is a novel and exotic teaching as a believer. That blows me away. In John 6, 26 through 27, the Passion, it says, let me make this very clear, Jesus said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when he says stuff like that, you're like, you know? You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. And then 48 through 51, he says, I am the true bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died, but standing before uh, you is the true bread that comes out of heaven and when you eat this bread you'll never die I alone am this living bread that has come to you from heaven eat this bread you will live forever the living bread I give you is my body which I will offer a sacrifice so that all may live now when he talked about eating his flesh that word eat uh, the word covenant actually in the Hebrew means to eat but what fascinates me most is that Paul is saying that legalism of which the priests were still operating in at the time of writing Hebrews is exotic and novel to the New Covenant message, the apostolic faith delivered to the saints once and for all. To bring the law or any form of legalism into the New Covenant is exotic and novel to the covenant that Christ cut with his own body. Okay? Now, the whole city thing, we need to go outside the religious walls uh, we don't have a city here on earth. It's our permanent home. This smacks of Abraham's search for a city made without hands that Hebrews chapter 11 talked about in walls. He was looking for a city whose foundation and walls were of God. So we have to go outside the walls of the law. 
to where he suffered such abuse and suffered the same if necessary and offer him praise in the midst of that. This is what David saw in his day and he brought it into his present. All right, we're at the end. We're almost there. Verse 16, We will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for these are the true sacrifices that delight God's heart. Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority for they keep watch over your soul without resting since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. Okay, so kindness to others. Um, obviously those are sacrifices as well. But the word obey, now this is an interesting word. I was surprised. It means to convince, persuade, or to be convinced and be persuaded. It also means to be confident and trust. Now, in some instances, it can mean obey, but what I want to do is maybe possibly tie the, the two ideas together, connect them, okay, with the word submit. So first, let me give you a de definition of leaders, because there's too many siblings running churches, treating their other siblings like their bosses, uh, and doing stuff to them that they shouldn't be doing. You need true fathers and mothers uh, in the kingdom, uh, not siblings. Okay, so um, a leader means to go before, to go first, to lead the way. So that means that my job, your job as a leader is I'm going to go first. Because if there's any damage or danger, if there's anything that might harm, if there's you know any hard, hard work, I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of everything uh, that could possibly harm you. Now, uh, that's for everybody. We all are leaders and have spheres of authority, right? So that's my job, okay? Now, the phrase, or oh, let me get back up to here. So if you follow someone, you probably have to be confident and trust they know what the heck they're doing, okay? So you're convinced and persuaded of that. If you're not confident in the leader, then you're going to find yourself resisting and fighting. Do you know, this may be a novel idea, especially in church settings, but leaders are supposed to be humble. What? They're not supposed to walk in with an entourage and not be touched by the common people. I've heard of people that have built tunnels from the stage through the church. So I have to be around any of the, I guess, smelly Walmart people? I don't know. Leaders are actually supposed to be kind. That can sometimes show it itself as rebuke, if necessary, okay? But they're supposed to be kind. They're actually supposed to love the people that they're serving, and it's serving, not dominating. So they're actually supposed to love them and want to be around them, okay? I mean, I could go on and on and on. They have self-control. Okay, so that means they're not addicted to porn, alcohol, drugs, food, sex, or anything else. If anyone should be free from those things, I would think possibly it's a leader. Right? So there are there's certain characteristics, and you know what else? They should have a good relationship with their spouse. You shouldn't have a wife that's running the show behind the scenes as a Jezebel because she can't get any voice because her husband shuts her down and beats her maybe at home. And you should have a husband that's wrapped around the little finger of his wife that won't correct her and let her run around wild all over the place. There are certain things that should be in a leader's life that actually makes your life better. Okay? I think a lot of times they just don't have anybody they're ever accountable to. Possibly. But the other thing is, just because you have a call doesn't mean you're ready. The, from the call to the commission is the boot camp to get rid of all your nonsense, right? And so if you don't cooperate in that, the call will actually pull you into a position of leadership because a lot of people don't have a discernment and they put you there and then it causes all kinds of happening. Or you have a leader that's jacked in the head and they surround themselves with a certain group of yes people that will not call them out when they start seeing bad behavior. I've seen that. Well, you know, some of the churches, when they go to have a preacher, then they vote on them. And then after they vote, then later, 
then they decide they don't like him. And I, my answer was, you either didn't hear God when you were voting, a lot of times. You should be voting anyway. Well, <laughs> They're appointed, not voted on. But, uh, yeah. So. Okay, so let me get this straight. So back in Trump, you know, when he was running, well, I can't vote for him. He's rude, and he says things that are mean. Just like we need, we need a godly leader who believes in Jesus to run the country. And I'm like, I said, most pastors can't even run their church. I don't want to elect a pastor to run the country. I want to elect someone that is anointed by God and chosen by God to execute vengeance on those who are lawbreakers. That is the purpose of the government. So from what you're saying, Kathy, we vote pastors in, but we also want to vote them into government. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's not a democracy in the kingdom. You are appointed by the Holy Spirit. You're not voted in by people. That's well, how it should and be. And then when it doesn't go right, though, who do you blame? Do you should blame yourself because you had no discernment when you voted. I mean, you know. That's I love funny. Trump. So. I have the favorite tweet of his that where he <laughs> talks about his IQ. He says, my IQ is higher than most of y'all's, but don't feel bad about that, losers and something else. And I mean, I'm just like, but yeah, that's probably not very nice. And then his little rocket man, uh, I wouldn't call him short and fat. I laughed until I cried when I read that tweet. But anyway, moving on. We don't want to get on Trump, which I still haven't heard if he's going to be president. Uh, 2024, but things are looking interesting. So the leader needs to be a good one, a person who listens, who empowers others, who has clear vision, who encourages, who's humble and willing to be corrected, whose lives are uh, so that others might fulfill their purpose in life. Now sometimes uh, God may call you to serve a leader who's harsh, ungodly, and cruel, like we see with Daniel and Joseph, okay? But in the ecclesia, True leaders are servants who lay down their lives to go for first. So when you see a leader like that, you naturally want to follow. Leadership will never and has never been about getting people to do what you want. That's the world's idea of a leader. Okay? Now, leaders would do well to ponder the fact that we will give an account. The phrase, without resting, is used as staying awake through the night. So true leaders watch and pray over the souls of those in their care. And probably the reason it will benefit you to make their work a pleasure is that a leader can get fussy without sleep. <laughs> Did y'all find that funny? Okay. Yeah, All right, let's yeah. finish. <laughs> okay. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock and by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, may he work perfection into every part of you giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny and may express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who uh, uh, is to receive all glory forever. And amen. Okay, so brought us peace by Jesus coming back to life. He will work perfection to every part of you. How? By giving you everything you need to fulfill your destiny. See, that's what's so important. Leaders are supposed to help you fulfill the reason you were born. You're not there to serve their vision, and that you know. And until you serve mine, I won't let you serve you know yours. I mean, that is stupid stuff. It's stupid. The best type of leadership, quite frankly, is empowering everybody else to do what they're supposed to do, and then actually you end up not having to do as much because they're fulfilling their call. Oh, I get so aggravated with that stuff. So you're only going to be happy when you're living in your purpose, okay? And then he'll be able to express himself through you, all that is excellent and pleasing. My dear brothers and sisters, I urge you to let your spirits flow through this message of love that I've written to you in these few words. I want you to know that our bro brother Timothy is free again, and as soon as he arrives here, we'll come together to see you. Now that implies he is probably in jail. We extend our greetings to all your leaders and all the holy believers. The Italian believers also send their greetings. Now may God's wonderful grace be poured out upon you all. Now the only thing that's funny, okay, first of all, let me get to this. Okay, well, now let me get to my funny. He reminds me of Grandpa. So I'd go visit Grandpa. We'd sit there and watch Gunsmoke, you know. He wouldn't say a word. Then, when it was time to leave, you know, I'd get up and say, well, Grandpa, and you go home. Well. Thanks for coming to see me. All right. So he'd get up, 
follow me to the door, and then talk. So it take me another 15, 20, 30 minutes to get away. That's kind of like Paul, because he finishes with, amen. Oh, and then one more thing. And then amen. <laughs> so the phrase, let your spirits flow through this message of love, is translated as bear with my word. And it means to continue to accept as valid or true. So he's asking them to join their spirits with the message he wrote to them, a message of love and encouragement. He wants them to accept it all as truth and not resist it because the message is that Christ is superior and he has instituted a new covenant that is superior to the old and to turn back to the old is to turn from God. We did it. I know it was a marathon. I don't know how long I talked. But amen. I think that was probably what the second longest book. I mean Romans must have taken us a year. Yeah. Does anybody have memory of that or have you blocked it? Oh, yeah. It was so long. Forever, yeah. <laughs> Man. So you guys actually study the whole book. The whole book. Yeah, it's oh, all on the website. Yeah, and that's supposed to be the best book my came in on that. It's all on the website. You can watch it. The whole thing. The whole thing. 31 weeks ago. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. So now you're going to do my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. We heard it. You were in Kings, so we need so to this, do it. Friday she let us know God's had her read was it Second Kings like twice made her you know do it again she's like oh all the blood and the killing I said well and I finished the one with Messiah is that Manasseh no the I really cannot pronounce their names I know starts with an H Hezekiah yes so then I'm like going through the third time and I finally understand that the Lord wanted me to hear that. Hezekiah. First it was this king, and then it was this. But it all comes down to one thing. Hezekiah. Yeah. They did not. If you did not follow the Lord, will like David, you might as well just hang it up. Yeah. 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 Well, I informed her Friday yeah, that we're starting Second Kings. Okay. All right. The one or First Kings? Yeah. Yeah, the one she just got done. I think it's actually in the military for so long. The war part. Oh, I was so excited. I enjoyed when the people were coming. The guy was coming. No. Take it out. He said, he said, I love that. No, not me. I did. I love that. That's her deed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I am. So just tell me how to do it. Which isn't always good because we're in our new yeah. covenant, Margie. Not the covenant of <laughs> death. All right, well, let's pray over our uh, tithes and offerings. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Hebrews. I mean, it, it makes it so plain that the law is not something we're supposed to uh, institute, go back to, because the law was fulfilled in two commandments. Love God with all of your being and your neighbor as yourself. If we do those two things, everything is fulfilled. And Jesus came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. And love hung on a tree. And so, Father, we don't ever want to replace relationship with religion, which is focused on doing, not being. We don't ever want to replace the power of God with religious ritual that's devoid of power. It has a form that looks all nice and pretty and packaged up. But inside are dead men's bones and all unclean things. We don't want to be a people where we're sons of hell creating sons of hell that are worse than us. We want to be a people that are of the sons of Zion who are centered around worship of you in the spirit and in truth. And from that place of presence, everything flows. That's who we want to be. We never want to reduce relationship with you to form. So, Father, I ask that you help us not do that. And my prayer and worship, Father, is I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was last week where we talked about how there's certain things that will actually cause you to reveal yourself to us in new ways, like areas we've not seen, things we've not seen about you, that you allow us to go inside you and explore like, a, like an adventure. Well, Father, I want our group to be those that get as close to you, go as deep as possible 
into your nature. That's my prayer. I don't care if we're starting this journey, this adventure in our 70s, our 60s, our 50s, our 40s. Our, I don't care. I want us to be a people so centered on pursuing you that we're absolutely obsessed with what that looks like and how to know you as best as possible on earth. So, Father, I ask you to help us do that because I know that is what will take cities, counties, nations. Because it says in Isaiah 4, you're the one that everybody longs for. They just don't know it yet. And so, Father, this morning, we want to honor you and declare our loyalty to you with our finances. We do not tithe, nor do we give offerings to you based on the law. We give our tithes and offerings to you as kings, giving to the king honor, devotion, and loyalty. So Father, we ask that Jesus receive our tithes and offerings where He's seated in heaven, and we rebuke the devourer from anything that has to do with our increase, whether it's monetary, spiritual, the hub, it doesn't matter. We rebuke all devourers in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that you help us hear your voice clearly in this next week, serve a big dose of the Father to those that we come in contact with, and help us grow closer to you. We thank you. We give you honor. Thank you for helping us get through the book of Hebrews. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew.